You are listening to the Holmes Avenue Baptist Church Podcast. To learn more about Holmes Avenue or how you can join the mission, visit us online at holmesavenue.com. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Walter. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm grateful that you are worshiping with us this morning. You have the privilege to start our new series looking at this idea of what is a radical prayer. And as we think about prayers, we, I at least believe that when I pray, I'm praying because I want to see something change in my life or change in the lives of those around me. I want to see something change in our world, right? I think that you feel the same way, that when you pray, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, you want the Lord to hear you and to make changes in your life, in the lives of those around you, in the world. I believe this is just who we are as people, that no matter where we're at in our walk with God, we want to pray in such a way that the words don't just fall out of our mouth and hit the floor, but that they rise to heaven, that the Lord hears them, that He works and moves in our lives. So if we believe this, if this is something we desire to see in our lives, something we hope for when we pray, how do we see that happen? How do we see that consistently work out in our lives that we can pray in such a way that the Lord hears us and he moves and works in our lives and in the world around us? Well, I believe that it comes through praying radical prayers that are focused in on God's will, not ours. I believe it comes through praying in such a way that our goal, our desire, our focus in our prayer is not us, is not our situation, but on God and His will being done, on His glory to be made known on this earth. You see, as we study the Scriptures, we see that the prayers we find in the Bible, this is what they're anchored around. This is what they're built around. This is how Jesus prayed. He prayed in such a way that His prayers were the Father's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Consistently, as we study the Scriptures, we see that the prayers that make changes in the world are the ones that are focused on God's will, what He wants done, not what we want done. Today and over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at this idea and looking at some of these very specific prayers that we can pray, that that we see in Scripture, that are about changing our world, that are about changing ourselves. Ultimately, we're going to pursue these radical prayers, and we're going to ask God to take us from a place of safety, a place of comfort, a place of rest, into a life that is marked by obedience and faithfulness to Him. Because as we pray these types of prayers, as we pray prayers that are about God and His kingdom, we see that we are changed completely by the good news of the gospel. We see that our lives are changed and transformed by the work of these prayers and the words we proclaim. So if that's true, what is a radical prayer? What is that supposed to look like? What is that? How do we pray in such a way that this is what we're doing? How do we actually live this and model this? Well, if you're taking notes, I hope that you'll write down this first point that radical prayers mark our lives. We're in Genesis chapter 32, and you'll see the text on the screen, but you can flip there in your Bible if you'd like. Beginning in verse 22, let's look at how this begins to mark our lives. Genesis 32, verse 22. The same night he, Jacob, arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and he crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. 
And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. First, as we look at this, we've got to catch up on who Jacob is and and what's happening here in the story. Well, Jacob, he's the son of Isaac. Isaac is the son of Abraham, major figures in the Old Testament, and he's the brother of Esau. Now, Isaac, when he was dying, he was going blind. He couldn't see Jacob. He tricked his father into thinking that he was Esau. He tricked his father into thinking he was Esau, and he received his brother's blessing. Now, Esau rightfully was furious about this, and he swore that he was going to kill Jacob. And Jacob, being the wise man that we think he could be, he says, oh, my life is in danger. I need to leave. And so he runs away to his uncle's house. And as he's staying with his uncle in a far-off land, he's there to hide. And over the years, he gets married. He has a family. He's a prosperous trader and herdsman. And in the midst of that, God calls him to come back home. God says, you will go back to your promised land. You'll go back to this land and you'll take it. And not only will you take it, but Esau will forgive you. Now, Jacob says, okay, if this is what you're telling me, God, I'm going, right? And he goes, but Jacob is afraid, even though God has called him home. He's been told earlier in this chapter that Esau was coming to meet him, and Jacob thinks that this is going to end poorly. See, Esau's the older brother, and just like everyone that's got an older brother, you think he can take me in a fight. And Jacob knows that if this comes to a battle, if this comes to a war, he's going to lose it all. And Jacob, throughout the time we see him in the scriptures, he's a schemer, he's a planner, he's a dreamer. He's just got plans on how he's going to get out of this. But he's not sure if his plans are actually going to work, if they're actually going to get him out of this. We see here in the earlier verses, verses 9 through 12, that he actually prays for the first time in his story. The first time he prays, and he prays this prayer in verse 9. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all of the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed the Jordan and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, O Lord, you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Jacob prays what is really a radical prayer here. He says, God, you've called me home. And I am terrified. I am terrified that I'm going to lose it all. I'm terrified that Esau is going to take everything from me. He's going to take my my wives, my children. He's going to take it all. And I don't think I can beat him. So Lord, if you are the one who wants me to come home, if you desire me to go here to do your will, you are going to have to make a way for it to happen. Jacob doesn't know it, but his life is going to be radically change for the better today. 
You see, this night, he's scheming again, and he sends his family away into the promised land. He helps them cross the river, and he stays alone in his camp. He's waiting for Esau. He's waiting for him to come to him, and he's also waiting for God to deliver him. In the midst of the night, this man appears and begins to wrestle with him. And the scriptures tell us they wrestle until daybreak, perhaps seven, eight hours long. Jacob is determined to win this. He fights and claws and scraps and grapples. He's trying to win against this man. Who could it be? Is it Esau come to kill him in the middle of the night? Is it someone sent from his brother to take his life? Who is this man that he's wrestling with? He's determined to win and... I think in this we see a glimpse of our own heart's determination to chart a course in our lives, to have our will above God's will play out. Finally, the man is stronger than Jacob. He overpowers him, and he touches Jacob's hips, just touches it, and his hip pops out of joint. Jacob will walk with a limp for the rest of his life because of this moment. You see, as we look at this, I believe that radical prayer, I believe the scriptures tell us that radical prayer is going to mark our lives. It's going to leave an impact on our lives forever. Perhaps we will walk with a limp as we pray these types of prayers. But when we pray fervently to God, when we pray for God to transform our hearts and minds, when we pray prayers that are these bold, big prayers, we cannot leave those conversations the same. We simply can't. Look at Jacob's life. Jacob's been an independent, self-sufficient man his entire life. Anytime he could make a way for himself, he's made it. Anytime he can get ahead by lying, by cheating, by stealing, he has done it. Any way he could make a path forward, he has pulled it off. And where has it gotten him? Where has it gotten him? It's gotten him to this point that he's afraid of his brother showing up because he thinks he'll kill him. He's afraid of losing everything. He can't scheme of a way out. He can't find a path forward no matter how much he thinks and paces. He can't get out of this. Now he's even crippled and he can no longer fight. You see, throughout his entire life, Jacob has wrestled for control with those around him. He's wrestled for control with those around him. He's met his match tonight. Jacob's heart idol is that he wants to be in control because if he's in control, he is safe. You see, the point of this wrestling match with this man, this figure that has come out of the darkness, it's to break Jacob. It's to reduce him down to nothingness. It's to show him complete dependence upon someone else. Jacob's laying in the ground, crippled. His leg is popped out of socket. He's exhausted. He has nowhere to go but depend upon the mercy of this mysterious figure. You see, like Jacob, you and I, we need to put our self-sufficiency out of place. We need it wrenched away from us. We need to have a complete dependence upon God and His steadfast love and mercy. Have you ever had your life simply put out of joint, out of place by God? I know you have. I mean, we, we, we look at our lives and we all have done this. We've had our plans changed. We've had our things that we hoped for wrestled and taken away from us. 
We've all had these things, these experiences that have put us at the end of ourselves where we simply go, God, are you there? Are you listening? Do you hear me? Do you know what I'm going through? Just one example from my own life that I'll share with you is I've been there. I've seen that. You know, right after I graduated Charleston Southern, I was so excited to be in the ministry, to serve the Lord. And I took a job as a youth pastor at a church up in Orangeburg. And it was exciting. It was great. They had a few students. And I was just dreams of changing the world, of seeing transformation come. In the midst of that, I was able to get connected with the local school and began to do something called a fifth quarter after the home football games. Got to speak at the pep rally before the first home football game. It was so exciting. Students were like, yes, this is something we're going to come to. And that night after the game that they won, by the way, we got to see over 150 students come worship together. Some of them came for the free pizza, but they got to sing songs about Jesus and hear the gospel and have several students respond in faith. It was a beautiful, incredible night. Then that Sunday, many of those students were actually worshiping with us at the church. I mean, this was a dream come true, right? Like, I think that I'm over here changing the world in the name of Jesus. And then, as so often happens, Satan begins to rear his ugly head in the church. Conflict arose over this because several members were upset that there were black people and Hispanic people worshiping with us. This became to be a problem for them. And they, in their wisdom, their earthly wisdom said, the way we can solve this is that you can have these events, but you cannot have people of color worshiping with us. Well, I told them exactly where they could file that and said, good luck with that. And so here I am, no job, no income. By the way, rent is due. Bills have to be paid. And I'm left in complete dependence on God. If you have called me to do this, if you told me the right thing to do is to not support this type of thing, you got to provide for me. And I can remember praying on the doorstep with Kelly. God, you're going to have to deliver because I don't know how to get a job. I don't know where to find money. And in that season of complete dependence upon God's grace and mercy, he moved. A family delivered groceries to me out of left field. Just, hey, we thought you could use this. And being the post-college graduate I was, I could have used it no matter what. But here we are with groceries. A friend called me and said, hey, I heard Sam's is hiring. And not only was Sam's hiring, but because I had worked at a grocery store in high school, like that mattered and made any difference, they said, hey, we'll pay you above minimum wage and you can start immediately. And then the biggest gift of all, my father-in-law was able to pull some strings and was able to convince some people that I was worth hiring and was able to receive a few weeks a full-time job from the company he worked for. Coincidentally, I received that full-time job and got my first paycheck the day rent was due. This is God's providence and grace at work. This is the dependence that we are looking for on God. This is the type of mark that radical prayer leaves. I would ask, what must God change in your life to ensure that you will depend upon Him? What does He have to strip away, pull away from you so that you might look to Him, cling to Him and go, it's going to be you or no one else, Lord. Jacob's conflict isn't over yet. 
As the sun rises on this faithful morning, thousands of years ago, he's got more changes coming in his life. This morning, he's going to have his very identity changed because of this prayer he's prayed. You see, radical prayers will change our identity. That's our second point. Look with me at verse 26. Then he said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Jacob is clinging tightly to this man. He knows that if he lets go, he can't get back to him. He's at his mercy. And he's holding tight and he refuses to let go unless this man gives him a blessing. The man asks for Jacob's name and Jacob gives it to him, but he's then renamed. Jacob is no longer to be known as Jacob, which is a name that can mean he cheats, he steals, he takes, he clings to. But he's now to be known as Israel, one who strives with God. Jacob's reached the end of his rope as the dawn breaks on this morning. He's clinging to this man who has beaten him, hoping, praying, desperate for a blessing. You might think that this is a sad situation for him. I mean, after all, he's been completely broken. He's been crippled. He'll walk with a limp the rest of his life. He's lost everything at this point, hasn't he? Yet, this is the best thing that could have ever happened to him. Jacob has been broken completely by God and is clinging to him in a picture of faith and dependence. Because of that faith, rather because of the faith in the one he's trusting in, he's then honored and blessed with a new name. All of Jacob's life, he's contended with men and what has happened? He's lost. He has failed in every encounter. He cheated Esau out of his blessing. And what happened? He lost his brother. He deceived, he outsmarted his dying father. And what happened? He lost his good name. He lied and cheated against his uncle. And what happened? He lost everything. Every time Jacob fights against man, he loses. Even now, as he contends with God, he loses yet again. But in the end, he is found victorious. You see, he loses this wrestling match with God. He's permanently wounded, yet this loss is a victory for him. Because at last, Jacob surrenders himself and submits to God. At last, he lays it all down and says, I'm done with striving. I'm done with lying. I'm done with cheating. I'm done with trying to make my way forward. If there's anyone who's going to have to do this, it's going to be God and God alone. Finally, finally, for the first time in his life, he's won. He has won by losing it all for the sake of his relationship with God. You know, when we study the scriptures, we see lots of people 
mention in here, and there are people that we describe as being heroes of the faith. We talk about people like Paul, who was just such a faithful missionary, who loved the Lord, who planted many churches as people, someone we idolize. We talk about people like David, who though he constantly messed up and failed, he was a man after God's own heart. He was someone that was a part of the family of God. But you know, when we look at the scriptures, I don't really hear too many people saying, I want to be like Jacob. I want to be like Jacob. I can understand that, if we're honest. We read passages like this, and we recognize he's really not a great guy as we study the scriptures, right? He spent his entire life lying, he's cheating, he's scheming. He's just a con artist for most of his life. He's just trying to get ahead and find something that gives him an advantage. But then we come to moments like this. We come to moments like this where he fully submits himself to God. And he's striving for a blessing from God alone. I I know that Jacob's probably not the best person to look at in terms of someone we want to be like, but I think in this moment, as Jacob is clinging to God, desperate for a blessing, desperate for him to just do something good in his life, I think we all want to be like Jacob in this moment. We all desire for God to move and work in our lives. We want to cling tightly to Him and say, Lord, it will be you that will bless us or no one else. This is the type of faith, the type of relationship we want to have with God. We want to strive with Him and receive a blessing from Him. Yet in that, that begs the question, are we willing to do what it takes to get a blessing? Are we willing to do what it takes to get this blessing? Because look at what required Jacob to get a blessing. He had to contend with God for hours wrestling with him. He had to see his hip dislocated, permanently crippling him. He had to have his very identity stripped away from him so that he might finally see who he is in the light of who God is. It was painful. It was difficult. It was challenging. Yet Jacob was blessed. John Calvin writes this in the Institutes of the Christian Religion. Men will never worship God with a sincere heart or be roused to fear and obey Him with sufficient zeal until, until, they properly understand how much they are indebted to him by his mercy. See what John Calvin is writing there? Until you know how much it costs for you to receive forgiveness, you'll never worship him in this way. Jacob, in that moment, saw exactly how much it had cost him to live his life He saw exactly how much it cost him to get where he was, and he knew it wasn't worth it. He knew in that moment, the only one who was going to change his life was God. This is a beautiful picture of the gospel in our own lives. We labor, we strive to work in our own strength in this world. We're trying for victory in our own power, and our own capabilities, and then we're broken by God, and we limp around for the rest of our lives. In that moment, the world looks upon us as weak and crippled, yet God's strength is made perfect in our weaknesses. 
You see, the truth is, if we're going to pray radical prayers, if we're going to desire for God to change who we are, to transform our lives, we have to recognize that we do not get blessings from God until we've been transformed by God's grace and a deep understanding of our own unworthiness. What did Jacob do to receive a blessing? Nothing. He was a terrible man who got his butt kicked by God. Yet God, in his sovereign grace and mercy, gave him forgiveness. This is what it takes for us to pray radical prayers. Our radical prayers will change who we are because they show us who we are and who God desires us to be. Jacob's story isn't finished on this morning that we read. See, he's been marked by God. His very identity has been transformed. He's been changed by the power of the gospel. And he's going to finish this passage by drawing closer to God. You see, radical prayers draw us closer to God. Look with me at verse 29. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel for saying, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been delivered. Then the sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh, of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob on the hip, on the sinew of the thigh. At this point, Jacob knows precisely, precisely who he's wrestled with. It's why he's so specifically asking, who are you? Tell me who you are. Let me know your name. Because he knows he's wrestled. He's contended with someone beyond this world. God blesses him in that moment, and he responds in worship, naming this place Peniel. Jacob isn't claiming to have seen God's face here, but rather he's proclaiming that he's had a personal encounter, a personal experience with God. This personal encounter has transformed who he is. It's drawn him closer to God, and therefore he can face Esau without fear. He can face Esau without fear because he has been delivered. He knows that whatever will happen to him as he crosses the river to go see Esau, he is forgiven. He has been redeemed. He is resting in this truth that no matter what Esau may take from him, he will never take the blessing that God gave him. We end on verse 32, that interesting verse. Verse 32 is the narrator, Moses, who's writing this word for us giving us a little insight. He's speaking to us. And in verse 32, he's telling us the people of Israel are reminded of this story, the work of God, the deliverance of Jacob by God's hand every time they butcher an animal. You see, just like Jacob, the people of Israel, the nation of Israel, they couldn't depend upon their own power to enter into the promised land. Their story was they tried to do it in their own power and what happened? They wandered the desert for 40 years. And then when they went to the promised land, when they tried to take things in their own power, what happened? They failed. 
Every time they tried to do it on their own, they lost, they failed, everything crumbled. They had to rely upon God alone. The same message is true for us today. The same message is true for us today. We receive the kingdom of God not by our own work, not by our own righteousness, not by anything we've done, but only by God's grace. It is a gift that He gives to His chosen people. Self-made, self-sufficient people, people who can pull themselves up by their bootstraps, they have no place in the kingdom of God. They cannot inherit the kingdom of God because there's nothing that you and I are going to do that's going to get us into the kingdom. In fact, the only thing that we've done in our lives that have merited any conversation from God is commit the very sin that He had to send Jesus to die for. So just as Jacob strove with God for God's blessing, we too are to strive for God's blessing, which is Jesus. You see, when the Philippian jailer asked Paul, what must I do to be saved? Paul gave him a very simple answer. He said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. He didn't tell him to work harder. He didn't tell him to make the right sacrifices. He didn't tell him to do anything but what? To trust in the very blessing of God himself, Jesus Christ. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. It's such a simple truth. But it's so difficult for self-sufficient, self-righteous people like us to grasp. Here's the thing that you need to walk away with. Here's what I need you to know. If you wish to enter into the kingdom of God, you must cling tightly to Jesus. You must cling to Jesus and Jesus alone. You see, the model for entering into the kingdom of God is not self-sufficiency, is not self-righteousness. There's no room for that. The way you get to the kingdom of God is by dependence, reliance upon Jesus. We must receive the kingdom as a gift from the Father through Jesus Christ. And this is what you have an opportunity to do today. This is what you can do to look upon Lord Jesus and ask him, what must I do to be saved? And the answer that you'll have, the answer that you'll be given is you merely need to believe in me and you will be saved. This is the hope we have in light of the gospel. And so today you have opportunity to trust in the Lord Jesus, to repent of your sin and follow him the rest of your days. My prayer is that you are radically transformed by the good news of the gospel. That today would be your moment of wrestling with God and of seeing him work and move in your life. In the next few moments, Sierra and Zach will come forward to lead us in a final song of worship. And my hope and my prayer during this time is that you would trust in the Lord Jesus. You'll lay aside your self-righteousness, You'll lay aside your self-sufficiency because none of those will get you into the kingdom of heaven. The only thing that will get you into the kingdom of heaven is trusting in the Lord Jesus for salvation and forgiveness. During these next few moments, I'll pray for us and we'll go into a time of worship. During that time, if you want to speak to myself or Pastor Brian about what the Lord's doing in your life, we would love to hear that. 
love to encourage you in the grace of God. But if I may, could I pray for you even now? Would you go to the Lord in prayer with me? Father, we are grateful for you. We're thankful for this good news that we don't have to be sufficient. We don't have to be strong. Lord, there's nothing that we have to do to enter into the family of God, enter into the kingdom of God, but trust in you. Lord, and this is good news for us. This is good news for me because, Lord, I know I'm not strong enough. I'm not wise enough. I'm not dependable enough. Lord, there's nothing that I can do. There's nothing I can bring to you that will make me righteous, that will see me enter into the kingdom. But Lord, that's good because salvation doesn't depend upon me. Salvation depends upon you and your grace and mercy to your people. Salvation depends upon you and your goodness and kindness, freely giving this gift of grace so that we might be able to enter into the family of God. Lord, this is good news. This is something I rejoice in, I rest in, because it means that no matter how broken or how bad I am, Lord, there is room for me at the table in the last days. So, Father, my hope, my prayer today is that for those that are here, for those that hear these words, they would rest in this truth that no self-righteousness, no self-sufficiency is going to get you into the kingdom of God. The only way we go to the kingdom is through Jesus. The only way we find forgiveness is through Jesus. So Lord, I ask for those that are here that they would call upon the name of the Lord for salvation. They would look to you for forgiveness and have their lives transformed by the most radical prayer we could pray that you would save our souls and redeem us. Lord, as we go into this time of worship, I pray that what we, what we sing, the way we respond is an overflow of your grace and mercy in our hearts. That we would display your goodness and your kindness to us in the way we worship and sing. Let us rejoice because we have been redeemed, Father. Let us rejoice because we have received mercy when we deserve condemnation. Lord, bless us with your presence in this time. Let us make much of your name. We love you and we praise you. We pray these things in the name of Jesus.